Hi, and welcome to Book Club, a Sales Enablement Pro podcast. I'm Olivia Fuller. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so they can be more effective in their jobs. Sales can be a tough job, and it's not one that everyone is naturally inclined to do. And with uncertain economic conditions like we're experiencing today, this job can be even more difficult. The snowball system is designed to help people sell effectively in a way that they're comfortable with, without feeling like a sleazy salesperson. And so I'm so excited to have the author of the snowball system, Mo Bunnell, here to tell us a little bit more about this concept and his book. So with that, Mo, I'd love if you could just tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and your book. Yes. Let me say this out of the gate. All of you listeners out there or watchers, I am so much a fan of sales enablement professionals. And Olivia and her team at Sales Enablement Pro, like the resources on the website, the things that the certifications, the classes, the courses, the assets, the resources, it's better than I've ever seen anywhere. So when Olivia reached out and thought we'd do this podcast, I was excited because the work you do matters and the things that we're doing to evolve the profession are really, really important. So Olivia, I just had to say that out of the gate, then I can talk about me. Is that okay? Love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's super fun. It's a, such an emerging profession and, it, and it's going to continue to grow in importance over time. So you're you're all in the right place. Okay, so a little bit about me. So I think a lot of times entrepreneurs start a business without trying to start a business. And my, my moment of starting big, now we've been at it about 20 years, started in a moment of complete panic, almost an anxiety attack. I had gone from a deep technical expert. I had taken all the exams to become an actuary, which if you don't know what an actuary is, long-term financial forecasters, we make the accountants look like party animals. And I had taken all these years to pass these exams to be an actuary. And in one weekend, I basically turned into a salesperson. Now we didn't call it that. I was at a high-end professional service firm, a consulting firm. We called it managing consultant. And But the fact is, in one weekend, I went from being rewarded on service, delivery, billable hours, client satisfaction, things like that, to retention and growth activities. And the moment of panic occurred when I went to my boss that Monday morning, new boss, new floors, business cards, titles, all that stuff. And I asked him for the manual on business development, on sales, retention, growth. And I wasn't expecting for him to respond by laughing at me. But he did. And it was probably a chuckle, but I heard it like the villain in Scooby-Doo. It was not a good thing. So Olivia, that was sort of the beginning was I thought I would get a playbook. I didn't get a playbook and I had to build the playbook. And I can tell you much more about the story if you want. But after years later, it sort of turned into an experience, a training class. And now we've trained 30,000 people at over 500 organizations all around the globe. Love that. Well, I have a friend who's uh, becoming an actuary right now, and I have a lot of respect for uh, that journey. It is definitely a tough one. Um, but, you know, as you kind of mentioned, sales is a very tough job, and it's not one that everyone can be naturally inclined to do. Um, and, and, you know, especially with the turbulent economy that we're all experiencing right now, it can be even harder. Um, and, you know, you talked about how 
the snowball system is really designed to help people sell effectively. But yep. the part that I loved is that it's in a way that they're comfortable with. So yeah. I'd love if you could tell us just a little bit more about that approach and how it can really help sellers be more comfortable, confident, and ultimately how that translates into effectiveness. Yeah, boy, this is such an interesting, um, such an interesting topic. You know, when we first started Bundle Idea Group, or Big for short, I, I really tried to redefine what sales meant in people's minds. And I thought for some reason I could do that with the billions of people on the planet. You can't. Unfortunately, sales has a bad name to a lot of people, and we've got to reframe that. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in our workshops, you see it in the book, is people hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. And in our live workshops, we actually list out, we have people say, hey, when was an experience when you were purchasing something and it did not go well? And you'll hear things like the person was pushy, they talked too much, they didn't listen to my needs, they, they suggested something that didn't make sense, um, they were sort of didn't want to talk about the pricing or the money of the investment, they didn't make it easy to buy, things like that. And then we say, hey, tell us of a time when you purchased something and it went great. Um, it was easy. It was frictionless. I liked the person. I was learning. They gave me options. They suggested something less expensive that was better for me. They built trust. It was fun. So the whole mantra of we hate to be sold to, but we'll have to buy. If we can start with the frame of salespeople saying, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to fall in love with my solution. I'm going to fall in love with their problem and build trust and have fun with this over time. That if we can just have a campaign of helpfulness, if you will, to the other person, that changes the whole frame from selling to helping. And that's where we see if people have that right mindset, they are off to the races. I love that approach. And, you know, the system that you cover in the book really walks through a series of steps. And so I yep. want to cover each of those just to dig a little bit deeper. And, and that first one that you talk about is targeting your ideal clients. So yep. I, I'd love to hear from your perspective, what are maybe some of the common challenges that can arise from ineffectively targeting prospective clients? And then how do you recommend overcoming those challenges? Oh, I could go on this for hours. We 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 don't have enough time, but let's let's dive in. Um, I was just training some high end consultants in Malaysia last night. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, in the U.S., so it went to like midnight my time, and we had a really big unlock. I mean, these are some of the smartest business people in the world, tier one consultants, and and one of the things that we did that's different is we broke through a, a mental heuristic called status quo bias. Now, the audience may not know what that means, but it, you can Google it. If you just go to Wikipedia, it's not the end all and be all for research, but it can give you a good head start. Just Google status quo bias, and you will get this litany of research that basically says we tend to do the same things over and over again. So when, when it comes to little things like what app do you open on your screen when, when you open up your phone in the morning, we tend to do the same things over and over. That's easy. We sort of understand that. But it's particularly dangerous and I'm being provocative here with the word dangerous, it is particularly dangerous in sales because what status quo bias will make us do if we don't, if we don't get out of the trap is keep hanging out and reaching out to the people we already know and like. And the reason for that is, A, we tend to do what we've already done, status quo bias, but B, our ego's at stake to reach out to somebody we don't know. We're fear of rejection. We're fear they won't reach back. We're fear we only have one shot. We have to be perfect with this first outreach. We will make the bar so high that we won't act and we'll delay 
and that's harmful to the sales rep. So what you can do to get over this is what we did with the, with the group in Malaysia last night is, is we said, hey, let's start with the people we want to work with and the things that we think we could be most helpful to them. What are the game-changing programs that we can take to the people that should purchase from us? And we, by flipping things in their minds from, here's who we usually stay in contact with. They had a contact list of 100 people in a small team. We flipped that from, put that aside for a second. Let's focus on who should buy what from us and where can we have the biggest meaningful impact? We started with that. And then we said, who are the decision makers for those things? Completely different list. And they left that session so energized to go out and, and to build the relationships with those people. It was awesome. I mean, I, I, so we finished the session at midnight, Olivia. I don't think I went to bed until like 3 a.m. because I was so excited for their future success. I couldn't sleep. Oh my gosh. I love that story. And, you know, that goes to show just how when you flip the way that you think about something, you can completely change your approach and, and ultimately increase the value that you bring. And I love that you mentioned that thinking, starting with, you know, where could we actually have the biggest impact? And that kind of goes into what the next step is that you go through in the book around positioning your unique yep. value. I'd love to hear some of your best practices around how sellers can actually identify what makes them unique, what that unique value is. I love this. And, and to speak to all the sales enablement people out there, this is frequently done incorrectly. So I want to give you the right way. Um, a lot of the times it's frequently done is to come up with some kind of value story or positioning elements or whatever, like it goes on the website. And we definitely need to do that. But that's a universal version of positioning that may or may not true to be may not be true for one individual or for a certain client, prospect, customer, or whatever. So we definitely have to do that. Keep doing that sales enablement, folks. Get that message tight, get it short, get it sharp. Do all the stuff that you're used to doing. At the same time, I want you to work with your sales reps, your account managers, your account execs to also be able to tweak that and shape it for a specific pursuit. So we talk about a, a value pyramid that, that you saw in the book, Olivia, which is the, the lowest level or the least the least that your clients or prospects care about is your universal sort of positioning for your organization. They care a little bit more about the specific offering. That's sort of in the middle of the pyramid. The apex of the pyramid is, I am thinking of hiring somebody for X. How are you positioned for me exactly for that? That makes it real. Mm. So, so we've got a blend. So thing one is blend also, you know, doing the universal positioning, the kind that goes on the website that anybody could log into. We need that but we need to net also focus deal by deal, especially for the important ones, that's thing one. Thing two is there's a bunch of research by um, a woman researcher, I love her stuff, her name's Suzanne Shu, and she tested value props from saying you're good at one thing to two to three to four, all the way to 10. And you saw this in the book, what Dr. Shu found is that people that say they're good at three things is magical. It's the most believable. It's thing, saying you're good at three things is more believable than one, two, four, five, six, all the way to the 10. And there's a peak and a curve that, that two is better than one, three is better than two, four is worse than three, five is worse than four, and so on. So what we see a lot of uh, sales reps do is because they have fear of being focused, they sort of have this David Letterman top 10 list. These are the top 10 reasons you should hire us for this deal. And what happens in, in Dr. Shi's research is that Having more than three creates so much cognitive load 
of somebody trying to figure out what are you really for? I've got these 10 things here. Is there a theme? I don't know. I can't understand this. They actually, it becomes a negative and they give up and having 10 reasons to hire you is basically worse than zero. So we want to get really crisp on a specific opportunity of what are the three reasons we're totally unique to serve this organization, make it really short, really sharp, and communicate that over and over in our RFP response and the formal, formal finalist meeting and everything else. And that's what can win the day. Olivia, is that helpful or too, too deep? Absolutely helpful. I, I love that. And something that, you know, we haven't talked about a ton quite yet, but I think it's really important to understanding the book and how, uh, you know, the approach is all laid out is that it's really rooted in science. And oh, yeah. you mentioned some of those, uh, you know, research pieces that fueled how, you know, you're, you're approaching each of these steps. And another one that really resonated with me that I liked in the book um, was around the step of building connection. And the concept mm. was around the science behind likability. Um, yeah. I'd love to learn from you, what are some of the ways that sellers can really build impactful connections with their prospects and, and turn those into long-term client relationships, really by being rooted in that science of likability? Oh, thank you for bringing this up, because there's sort of a a mantra that some people are sharing in the marketplace that relationships don't matter, they're dead. That's completely untrue. All the research shows that we say yes to people we like, we, we spend more time with those they like. Doctors spend more time with patients they like. Outcomes are better with those that they like. Like it is, it, likability matters in so many aspects of human nature that you, there's almost, you can't even count up the studies that back this up. One though that I like, is well, and I'll give the audience three three levers of likability. One I really like is Dr. Jerry Burgers out of Santa Clara University. He was the first person to scientifically prove that we hire people we like more often than those they don't that we don't. And in a follow up study, he was like, "Hey, what correlates to likability? We need to know that." The number one lever he found is commonality, and so we it's up to us as sales reps, as account managers, account executives, we have to find ways that we have things in common with other people. And in general, uncommon commonalities are more powerful than common commonalities. So even Olivia, when we were chatting right before we started recording, we were talking about we both have dogs, they love snow, they do silly things and stuff. You and I are bonding on that. So, we're, so it's up to us as salespeople to find out what do we have in common? And the science shows it can be uh, we both like or we all like Dan Pink business books. It can be that we both have dogs or rescue dogs or a husky or a shepherd. It can be that we both like uh, Ultimate Frisbee or the Kansas City Chiefs or Big Red Bordeaux. Um, it can be things in business. It can be things in non-business. But we've got to find those things in com that we have in common and then reinforce them over time. So, so that's lever one. Lever two that we love to talk about is the mere exposure effect. If anybody wants to dig into that, fire up Wikipedia, type M-E-R-E, -E, mirror, mirror exposure effect. It's all about frequency. It was first studied in Germany in 1876. The science has seen three centuries. And what it says, irrefutably, the more often we see a person or a thing, the higher the chance it is that we like them. So as reps, we've got to have a system for reaching out being helpful and staying top of mind. It's why mere exposure effect, the flip of it is why we say out of sight, out of mind. We've got to have a mechanism to add value routinely. And then the last one we talk a lot about is mutual benefit. This is our third big lever. 
those deepest relationships are not one-sided. They're not, I serve you because I'm the sales rep or account manager. It's that we are working together to build a better future. That, that the science shows not only do we help people we like, but the emerging science is saying we like people we help. So simple things like uh, having a relationship with somebody and say, hey, we're doing work in this part of the organization. We think we can have an impact in this other business unit that, that, that is in your organization. Hey, what would you do if you were me? Making a statement of something that would be helpful and saying, what would you do if you were me is a wonderful way to ask for help. And what people find is the enrollment they get from the other side gives them great ideas. The person co-creates the next step. They enroll in their success and likability follows. So anyway, th there's more in the book, but those three big things, finding and reinforcing commonality, having the mere exposure factor, frequency and staying top of mind, and having a mutually beneficial, enjoyable relationship. Those are three big ones. Fantastic. Thank you so much for walking us through that. Very, very interesting. Um, to take that, you know, a step further, the final step in the process that you talk about is, is really nurturing to turn your clients into what you call raving fans, which I love. I love that phrase, um, especially in the economic climate that we're in. Uh, this is really becoming more and more essential for businesses to focus on so that they're yep. you know, maintaining and, and ultimately setting themselves up to grow their business. Um, given you know this current economic environment, I'd love to hear from you, what are some of the key considerations that sellers should really be keeping in mind to nurture those long-term relationships with their clients? Yeah, perfect. So um, I'll actually share some things that aren't in the book. So I think you'll like this. So the, the core research says that soft skills do turn into hard results. And so that's some of that science of likability and things that we talked about. One thing that's not in the book that I think is really compelling is McGraw-Hill, the, the publishing arm also has a research arm. They did some research in the 1980s and there was this big economic um, collapse and, and um, economic headwinds in the early 1980s. And what they found is that B2B companies that advertised in, in the economic downturn that happened in the early 1980s, not only outperformed during that recession, but outperformed to a huge extent for three years afterwards. So, so what we can learn from that is that when we think about um, human relationships, I think that's even more important than even B2B advertising. With human relationships, we're advertising when we're out there talking to clients, talking to prospects and adding value. That is sort of advertisement for us humans. And the nut of all that is when there's an economic downturn, we shouldn't judge ourselves on what we did the year before. That's an unfair metric because we've got economic headwinds against us. What we should judge ourselves is, are we beating the competition? Because they're in the same playing field we are. So what the research for that McGraw-Hill research shows is that if you're out there adding value, being helpful even before it's time for somebody to buy from you, deepening those relationships with likability like we talked about before, economic downturns are when you go out and win market share because you're out there doing it more and your competition hopefully is dialing it in and not working as hard because they're like, oh, I can't do as good as I did last year, so I'm not going to work as hard. No, I want you to double down when there's economic headwinds, help people before they can even hire you, and they will remember that forever.
Absolutely. Yeah, that was fantastic insights and, and so critical to the environment that we have right now and, and very relevant to our audience of enablement practitioners. And I want to dig into to that a little bit more. You mentioned this right at the start of the conversation. Um, you know, enablement leaders today are not only responsible for equipping their sellers with the tools and the resources that they need to be successful, but, you know, they also have a job to do today that's uh, really a around gaining buy-in and support for their initiatives and working with executive leaders and cross-functional partners to get that support. And, and that yep. can be a hard job to do, especially in these times that we're in. I'd really love to hear from you, how can the principles of the snowball system be applied to that concept of you know, selling internally, selling to your stakeholders on the value of the programs that you have, especially for sales enablement practitioners? Oh, Olivia, it's such a great, it's such a great question. We have helped so many functional leaders help them grow their influence within an organization. CHROs, CIOs, CTOs, CFOs, sales enablement leaders. And I'll give you three steps here. Technically, I'll give you four steps to gain approval. This is all in the snowball system. So I recommend it for, for folks to read the book and then apply it to their own influence. Because if you're a salesman enabled leader, yeah, the, the regional head of sales or whoever you're, or the, or the global head of sales, whoever you're helping, they don't pay you in money necessarily, but they're paying you in their budgets. They're paying you with their time. They're paying you with you with their attention. So really you're just a consultant inside a company. So here's the four steps. One of the fastest ways to get a yes is to slow down to speed up. So a lot of times people will go in sort of machine gun Nelly and suggest what they want the decision maker to, to approve. And that's almost like skipping straight to step four in our little four steps we're gonna go through. So here's a faster way. When you do that, you're using your words, your priorities, and it can come across as jargon to the other side, especially in a deeply technical world like, like sales enablement. So instead of jumping to the end, uh, here's another way to do it. Step one, listen and learn. Schedule a call with the people you support. Just say, hey, I just want to make sure we're, we're lined up for our, for our work this year together. I'd love to hear from you. What do you think are the top priorities this year as we think about enabling the, the, the sales force and the account management teams? You want to go to that with some ideas for sure. You want to help shape the agenda, but, but you're also listening to their priorities and their words. A bunch of research shows it's easier to get a yes when you use somebody's own words with them than if you use your words. So we want to listen and learn first. That's step one. Step two, create curiosity. It turns out that, that curiosity is an intrinsic motivator. We love experiencing curiosity. It's why we hear a cliffhanger at the end of a, um, a Ted Lasso episode and we can't wait to watch the next one, Yellowstone or whatever. Like cliffhangers are curiosity that get us to do the next step. So what you can do with Create Curiosity is say, hey, Mr. Mrs. Uh, uh, sales Leader, would it be helpful if I shared some stories about how I've heard other organizations have tackled that problem? And I could help you with that. In this step, we're conceptually getting buy-in to how we might be able to help them solve their issues they shared in step one. So listen and learn, we hear their issues. And then in step two, we're conceptually talking about storytelling mostly about how we can solve those. Now we're to step three. It's mind-blowingly effective. We call this build everything together. The science here is called the IKEA effect, named after the Swedish retailer, Michael Norton at Harvard, all-star team of researchers proved this out. They found two things. One is we buy into what we help create 
And two, we view our own work product on par with worldwide experts, even if we're not an expert. So we love our stuff and we think our stuff is awesome. <laughs> so, so the best way to get approval is in step three, you've heard their priorities and their words. They felt some curiosity about how you might be able to solve the issues that, that they've got uh, on their agenda. Step three, come up with a 60% right draft that you can float in from, front of them. And you say this exact words, hey, Mr. Mr. Salesperson, uh, sales leader, I've thought a lot about what we talked about. I've got some solutions that I think we could deploy. And here's what you say. I really think it's only about 60% right because you see some things I don't see. I see some things you don't see given our roles. I need your help to make it great. And the reason you say 60% instead of a lot or it's mostly right is you want them to see what the gap is. You want them to think, ah, 40%. All right, I got to roll up my sleeves and help this out. As they co-create it from that point, that's when the IKEA effect fit kicks in and you get buy-in, buy-in, buy-in. If they change something, great, that's buy-in. If they like it, great, that's buy-in. And as you move closer to 100%, you'll see them get so excited about their uh, the ideas because they become their ideas. The fourth step is gain approval. If you've done the first three, four is usually easy peasy because they already love it before they get all the formalities of it. So listen and learn, create curiosity, build everything together, gain approval, one, two, three, four, it works like a champ. Oh, I, I love that approach. And you're so right. So often we skip just to that last step and, and then wonder why we haven't yeah. gotten the support that we think that we have. So I, I love that approach. That's fantastic. Well, Mo, you've shared some really, really awesome insights with our audience today. Um, and again, to our audience, we absolutely recommend that you pick up the Snowball System and read through that book. Um, but you have some other resources too that I want to make sure that our listeners know about. So can you tell us a little bit about some of those where our listeners can go to learn more about some of what we've discussed today? I would love to. You know, um, probably the number one thing I'd recommend is so easy. It takes 30 seconds is I spend about three hours a week writing an article on a very specific topic, much like we talked today, but we just scratched the surface. Like there's, we did five things out of a thousand. So I write this article, takes several hours, and my goal is somebody can read it in three minutes. So it takes, it, it's sort of sad. It takes three hours to write something that someone can read in three minutes, but it's hard to write short. And that's what we try to do. And we try to pick a very specific topic that's really sharp that somebody can read that in a couple minutes and think, this is amazing. I want to forward this to a ton of people because I got so much value out of it. So if people want that little weekly newsletter just drops in your inbox every week, they can go to growbigplaybook.com. That's called growbigplaybook.com. That's the name of the newsletter. And they can sign up right there and it has tons of value. Like, like this, um, this week's coming up this Saturday is uh, how to have really great pipeline meetings. That's something for whatever reason, a lot of people are struggling with. We've had other articles on likability, others on how do you scale a specific learning across a team? Everything we talk about every week, a sales enablement pro, we'd love to get. And it just keeps the learning alive and there's no charge to it. So growbigplaybook.com is where people get that. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, we'll include a link to that in the transcript and episode description. And thanks again, Mo, for sharing all of your insights with our audience. I certainly learned a ton from this conversation and I can't wait for our listeners to hear what we talked about. It's been a blast. I love, I just can't say it enough. 
what your audience is doing is so powerful and so important. And we are in the early days. It is going to grow in importance over time. Folks, keep going back to the Sales Enablement Pro website. Keep getting more learning certifications. Do everything you can to build your skills because I'm convinced this is one of the areas that's going to just 10x over the next couple of years, next decade or so. So if you're on the forefront of learning and leading, you're going to be in a really great spot. Thanks, Olivia. To our audience, thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. And if there's something you'd like to share or a topic that you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.